Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only sports program from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Stephen Hewson. In this week's edition, we review the Black Cap series against South Africa with former New Zealand captain, coach and selector Glenn Turner. The Trans-Tasman netball competition begins this weekend with New Zealand teams trying to end Australia's domination. The Phoenix farewell midfielder Tim Brown, and we hear from Hurricane skipper Conrad Smith on his side's unexpected super rugby efforts. And the itsy-bitsy, teeny-weeny bikini won't be de rigueur for female beach volleyballers at the London Olympics. The three-test cricket series between New Zealand and South Africa ended with the tourists winning 1-0, with the final test ending in a draw in Wellington this week, thanks to an unbeaten century from Northern District's batsman Kane Williamson. The series loss was hardly surprising, given South Africa's ranked second in the world and New Zealand eighth. But does it flatter the Black Caps when they lost the second test by nine wickets, only avoided the follow-on by one run in the third test, where they were also helped out by a day's play being lost to the weather? I asked former New Zealand captain, coach and selector Glenn Turner for his thoughts. One of the most disappointing things about it um, was that New Zealand got thumped in the ODIs. And that is the the area of the the game, if you like, or the, the format that we pride ourselves at being best at and the one that we have most hopes for. Um, so that, that was disappointing. Um, as far as the tests were concerned, well... I think we anticipated things a bit more there because it's um, not really our game. But what surprised me was the the way that the South Africans went about it. I I was surprised, astonished at the fact that he um, didn't declare their innings closed in that final test much earlier. I mean to to assume that New Zealand could get 389 in a last innings with one of their top batsmen out injured and the sort of bowling attack that he had was ridiculous. And, and you know, this this business of, well, we've got to play them out of the game because we're 1-0 up in the series. I mean, what, why wouldn't you take the, the opportunity that was offering there and obviously offering to make it 2-0? Um, and, and they didn't do that, so... So, um, you know, that surprised me, and as a consequence, they didn't deserve to win that last test. Um, obviously, we can take something out of one or two of the lads' knocks. Um, in, in particular, Kane Williamson, although, you know, he uh, <laughs> he certainly rode his luck. But, but apart from that, I mean, to overcome that, um, because there is an element of embarrassment when they drop you a couple of times, um, and when you stand there when they're claiming a catch and so on, it shows that you've got to have some resolve and some ability to cancel out, you know, the sort of uh, lip that you're likely to get as a consequence and still kick on. Um, and so he showed a lot of maturity in achieving that. 
And as you mentioned, against such an attack, I mean, they might be ranked, what, second in the world, but they seem to be general consensus that the best side going around at the moment. Uh, yeah, uh, possibly so. We'll soon find out when <clears throat> England plays them. They're going there next. Um, you know, I mean, they, they have got the best uh, fast swing um, uh, seamer attack, whatever you want to refer to each bowler, um, but they don't have a, a world-class spinner. So, I mean, that doesn't quite complete things for them. Uh, but under most conditions, I mean, the West Indies did it for years without a top spinner too. They had four quicks that they kept playing, and they only bowled about 72 overs a day. It was pretty hard to beat them. But what I what I was surprised at, at too, and, and, well, maybe I shouldn't be surprised, but I just wondered with the laws of the game whether they've just got a bit slack on short-pitched uh, bowling now. Um, I mean, Stain was coming up and he was bowling as many as four and over. Now, just because they don't go above head high or you're only allowed a couple above shoulder high, that doesn't mean that uh, chest high isn't intimidation. And, you know, it makes... I just fear for the game that if you allow bowlers to bowl that much short stuff, that, you know, where are your cover drives, where are your other skills that a batsman can use to entertain and and show their abilities. Um, if you're just going to be bombed ball after ball after ball, it's going to slow everything down to a crawl in terms of runs being scored. Either that or batsmen take on the hook and chance their arm. Um, and that's not the sort of cricket that I, I like to watch. Is there a, a major golf between the two sides? Yeah, I think so. Um, uh, the other thing I was a bit surprised, I didn't think South Africa got the most out of their batting. You know, the first two tests and the first innings they failed in both of them, 238, 256. Uh, for a batting lineup with the sort of record, when you look at their stats, uh, wasn't great. When they were pushed to get after it for a declaration in the second innings um, of uh, this third test, uh, you know, they started to show that they could play some really good sh attacking shots. I thought they sat on their bats a bit uh, during the series. Um, and uh, so I think potentially if they played to their full potential and we did, there is quite a golf. The New Zealand bowling attack though would deserve some credit would it not for, for, for that? Yeah, yeah. I mean despite I, the sort of limited resources talent that, that there is that they, they do, well they did pretty pretty well. Yes, I think um, obviously we, we, we also are struggling to get someone to spin them out um, but you know from the seam bowling point of view yeah I'd say we, we, we did reasonably well um, I, I suppose I you know my mind is one to I critique things and and, um, and I look where sides can improve and and you know in that in that final game when we played just we played three seamers which is okay but after 14 overs we had our spinner on on the first morning after having put them in. You know, you surely can rotate three of your uh, faster bowlers around in a morning session of two hours. Um, you know, surely you can do that without having to, to resort to a, a spinner or a part-time bowler. Um, so, you know, if, if, if the bowlers haven't got the stamina to be able to bowl 20, 25 overs a day, then I don't think you've got much option other than to play an extra bowler. 
But sure, I mean, they, you know, Gillespie came in and, and certainly did something. Um, I think Bracewell is still learning the trade, but he, he can take wickets and he, and he proved that. Um, I was a bit disappointed that that they didn't play um, Bolt. The left-arm option, yeah. Yes, I think that, um, you know, he was a bit hard done by, by not being in there. Um, and and Chris Martin just, just keeps on going, I guess you could say. I mean, he's not really the future, uh, but he's a great pro, and, and, you know, a year ago I'd have thought that he was gone, maybe even two years ago. And you've got to give him credit for the fact that he's, you know, that he gets the most out of himself. He's a single-skilled player, very disciplined, works hard, knows what he can and can't do, and and is a good all-round pro. So, you know, yeah, we, we've got to take some credit with our, with our scene bowling. The concern, though, is obviously the, the fact that Dan Vittori didn't take wickets. That's not new. I mean, Dan has to bowl lots of overs to, to take his wickets, and he tends to be used against good opposition as tying up one end. He's still useful with the bat, but but he's now, I think, in the category where you've got to say, OK, um, but we do need a spinner, another spinner, and he becomes the second spinner. You hope that you can bring someone through that can take that role. Um, ideally, I'd sooner see uh, the Tory batting at seven um, so that you're still bringing on another uh, top-order batsman. Um, but if you do that, of course, then you, unless you've got a genuine all-rounder as a seamer in there, uh, you're going to be struggling to, to play six batsmen, Vittori at seven, and another spinner who isn't an all-rounder. So it, it's, it's a tricky one, but it's something that I think we've got to move towards if we hope to um, you know, have a stronger team. Who would you see, then, as the front-line spinner? Yeah, well, I, I, I did write a while ago that, uh, that I thought that Nathula, or Natula, I think is his pronunciation, and, um, and, and Astle were our, our, our top two spinners in the country at the time. Astle had a great season last year, hasn't quite done the same things this year. Um, I, was, I was a bit surprised that they used uh, Natula in, in, the, in the limited overs stuff, um, and he did, you know, I mean, he he did quite well. I mean, that's got to be said, and, and that was good to see. But, but you know, I'd, I'd like to see him given some opportunity in the longer forms of the game, where you can set particular fields. He's going to bowl his 20 overs plus, you know, and he might go for a few, but he might get some people out too. So, you know, we, I, I think we're in a position where somebody like him needs to be given a bit of a run at it. The problem with the batting still continues, though, doesn't it? I mean, the, the bowling attack gave the, the batsman a, a few options or, or got into positions where the side was performing reasonably well. I mean, Kane Williamson obviously performed well in that last test. Does, it, does he need to move to three? You see, you can, what happens is, is unfortunately, um, players uh, sometimes are put into positions where they... Uh, what they want to do seems to come first and there's a lot of I in it rather than we and, and I think actually I heard that on commentary um, from Barry Richards um, he had a bit of a dig at the fact that a player said well I want to do this or I want to do that and you know I mean the way that it was panning out um, although Brendan McCullum 
is perhaps not your ideal opener, but in our side and the form that he was in and, and the abilities that he was showing, he had to open. I mean, it's as simple as that. And then you put Kane Williamson in at three, um, and, and, and that would have helped uh, tremendously. So it's a, it's a matter of what's best for the setup, not what's best for the individual. Do you still think McCullum is a, a test opener on a, on a regular basis, though? In a strong side, no. <laughs> mm. But um, but 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 where things are at at the moment, I, I think he's got better. Um, he never used to be able to hit uh, play a back foot drive. It was always anything just short of a length over the top of off stump. He was giving himself a bit of room to cut it rather than play it with a full blade. And he didn't defend very well with that particular delivery. It's taken him ten years or whatever to really get that sorted. And I think he he's improved in that area. But temperamentally, he's always fighting against himself um, not to give the opposition a chance every now and then. You know, he battles away and he shows some good control and composure and that for a while. But if you're going to be a top-notcher in test cricket, you've got to do it all day. You've got to bat session by session. And, and, and he, as I say, his temperament is not like that. And, but it, it doesn't mean that he can't do it. It, it's just that he's going to have to work really hard on himself to do it. Um, but until he does that, he, he will be a 50-60 a man, mostly. So given the situation and the, the lack of obvious, obvious candidates to, to bat with Martin Guptill at the top there, that would be your preferred sort of the, the McCullum-Guptill with Williamson at three? Yes, it would. Um, I thought it was uh, pretty pretty tough uh, bringing... Um, uh, what's his name into Oak? Flynn. Yeah, Daniel Flynn. Um, yeah, he. Um, yeah, I mean, it was. He did pretty damn well in that first innings, I thought, and he was always going to be really tested. Um, and you can nick out for naught early. Um, anyone can do that. And you know, I'm, I'm not saying that he didn't put in a decent showing, um, but really, after what's gone on and and so on, and him being out of the game, injured for such a period of time, and struggling with his technique uh, towards the end there, and 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 to come back in, uh, it would have made sense to bring him back in in the middle order, and that would have made it a lot, given him a lot more chances, and, and he would have been more useful for the team in, in, in that um, in that position. So I I, I think you know. The seniority thing and, and rank uh, prevails in most sides, and, and mostly it's to the detriment of the good of the whole, and I'm seeing some of that. That's former New Zealand cricket captain, coach and selector Glenn Turner. You're listening to Extra Time, a web-only sports programme from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Stephen Hewson. The fifth edition of the Trans-Tasman Netball Competition begins this weekend with the five New Zealand franchises opening the title drought may finally come to an end. Australian sides have won all four competitions so far, with the Queensland Firebirds the reigning champions. But while the title may be at the forefront of the players' minds, the bigger test appears to be off the court, where the financial viability of several New Zealand franchises is in question. In the four years the competition has been running, all but one of the five New Zealand franchises has needed Netball New Zealand to step in and provide financial or administrative assistance. The Wellington-based Pulse, the Waikato Bay of Plenty Magic and the Canterbury Tactics have all needed loans to bail them out. 
the pulse being the worst, and while Netball New Zealand Chief Executive Raylene Castle won't say how much they've been loaned, it's believed the pulse have had to borrow about $300,000. I'm not prepared to talk about numbers. There is varying degrees of uh, cash. There's underwrites to overdrafts, and there's operational and uh, assistance around governance assistance. So there's all variations of things that we have, um, Netball New Zealand has um, helped with. Raylene Castle says no franchise has got to the point where it's been close to having to pull out of the competition. But she concedes having three of five franchises needing loans to stay afloat does lead to questions over the viability of the competition. There's no doubt there's discussions around the model and making sure that the cost versus the revenue raising opportunities match. And as everyone's aware, in the current environment, that has been very difficult. And there's no doubt a nurse wake in Christchurch certainly hasn't helped the tactics. You know, to go and ask for sponsorship in an environment like Christchurch where people are still trying to get running water is a very difficult and challenging conversation. But you know, we've had the difficult conversations and we believe that we can grow and develop the competition to make sure that it is financially sustainable. Each franchise has a salary cap of $300,000 with a minimum player contract worth $12,000 a year, but there's no maximum. The executive director of the Netball Players Association, Tim Lythe, says it's often player payments which get blamed when a franchise gets into financial difficulty. The great thing is that we've got broadcasters, we've got sponsors and we've got pickets walking up and paying uh, for tickets to watch the game. So there is a model that can work. Perhaps we need tweaking of that model um, to ensure that uh, we can all live within our means. But sure, it's a concern and we need to look at it. But I think there is definitely a model that we can work with. There's no doubt that this competition will be around for a while to come. Well, Lyth is confident the competition will be around for a while yet. The prospect of a New Zealand side ending Australia's on-court domination is another matter. The former Silver Ferns coach Yvonne Willering says the defending champions, the Queensland Firebirds, are favoured to retain their title, while the Northern Mystics, who finished runners-up last year, again appeal as the best New Zealand title hope. I'd like to think that they've learnt from last year's finals. I mean, they were comprehensively beaten by Firebirds on that occasion, but I think that they were a bit surprised to even have made it to the final. So I guess, you know, that belief has got to be there. But we probably wouldn't beat those teams, the top team, consistently. But, yeah, on any given day, yeah, we'd be matching it against them. And I think that if you have a look at it, player for player, there is no reason why we shouldn't be up there. The Northern Mystics and the Central Pulse are the first New Zealand teams on court when they play each other in Auckland on Sunday evening. On Monday night, the Southern Steel host the Waikato Bay of Plenty Magic in Invercargill, while the Tactics play the only Australian side not to have won the Trans-Tasman title, the West Coast Fever in Perth. We hear more now from Yvonne Willering on how she believes the competition will unfold. First off, Yvonne, the age-old question, can a New Zealand team get up this year? Well, the Adelaide, Melbourne, Queensland, New South Wales have all, all done it. Does that mean maybe it's West Coast Fever's turn? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, everyone sort of has that thing, you know, can New Zealand win on Australian soil? I think we've got to get rid of that thinking and uh, just just basically play the game and just see whether they're from Australia and New Zealand, just see them as other opposition, really. And, you know, with so many years into the competition, this, you know, whether we play well overseas, well, you know, forget it. I mean, those days should be gone by now. Casting your eye over the New Zealand sides, what do you, what do you make of them? 
Well, I think Mystics would still have to be the, the strongest side because they've had the least disruptions, really, because in saying that is the number of player movements. And they've now got Jade Clark from England as their wing defence, so they've lost Jolene Henry but gained her. So I guess, you know, they've, they've still retained some of the strength there. So I guess, you know, at the moment, they would be a team that already knows each other's play pretty well and is already sort of doing all the team tactics with that, whereas most of the other teams have had quite a number of, of player changes. The Magic, how do you think they're going to, to shape up? Yeah, I think obviously with the introduction of Liana De Bruyne, uh, they will certainly they have got tremendous uh, defensive unit. Concern probably there is a little bit more in the goal attack, wing attack position. Uh, Juliana Naupu is still there, but you know who's going to come up with Irene, and you really can't put all that pressure on Irene. So just took it. Be interesting to see what position she takes on court, but certainly um, you know th- that that area is is still there. Um, you know for them to address. They've got an Australian input in Watts, but and she is a mid-court player, but I'm not quite sure where, the, where she will be played. You'd expect the, the Pulse to be a bit more competitive this year, having recruited the, the likes of Jolene Henry and, and others? Yeah, they've certainly um, added what I call experience to the team. They've got Selby Ricketts and Paula Griffin, again, players that Robin Broughton's very familiar with. So, yeah, I think that they certainly have added the experience. Um, that's probably something that's lacked in the past. And that with inexperience comes those unforced errors. And I think that the Pulse have been guilty of that. And Robin Broughton is a coach that really belay, believes in the basics. So I think that that's certainly an area that they will work on reducing those unforced errors. What about the, the Australian sides? Do you see Queensland being the, the top gun again? Uh, well, if you saw the pre-season, and whilst you really can't take the results into account, certainly they, you know, they're still a quality team. They haven't had too many changes. So, yeah, I would still see them as, as the number one team. You've got Thunderbirds and Vixens in there as well. Uh, Thunderbirds in a position, they've gained the Rebecca Bullies and the Renee Hallinan, so they are strengthening in, in the defence. Don't know if they've got their 12th player yet. Uh, Vixens, I think Sherelle McMahon is a great loss to them and uh, you know, so they're going to have a fairly inexperienced goal attack that will match it up with Kate Beveridge so you know, it, um, yeah, they're still going to be very competitive um, you know, with the defence lineup. certainly Jeeva Mentor will be there and Julie Corletto, but the team that I'm going to obviously be interested in is the Fever uh, not just because Norma Plummer's in charge, but certainly they've got import players, they've got experienced players Catherine Cox, you know, she adds tremendous value to their attacking end. And also their import player, um, uh, Bickford Chambers, is a ranging defender, so they're not just going to restrict it to one-on-one defence, and I believe she will go and take balls and flights. So I think that you'll see something different from them. But you've still got that situation where your your Australian teams are going to be playing each other twice, so they're going to be, um, yeah, sort of going against one another. And then the last team, obviously, from over there, Swifts, and I think they certainly have been depleted a little bit. And, uh, you know, it's up to Prattley in the attacking third to keep the team together, and McLomer in the defence third, and they've got a lot of inexperience in between. Going into the season, though, you'd think the Queensland Firebirds would be favourites to, to hold on to their title? Yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, again, because they haven't had that many changes. And, you know, once you've had that taste of victory, although having said that, the other teams that have won it one year have actually failed the next. So, you know, that, that sort of theory doesn't go through. But, you know, they haven't got too many changes in their team. So, uh, yeah, I think certainly they, they will great, gain in strength. But 
you know, other teams have learned from that as well. So, you know, it, it's um, it's about the consistent performance. And at, at last year, and you have a look at it throughout the whole season, Firebirds were the most consistent team, and they deserve to win it. A few more English imports across the competition too. Yeah, and that's interesting. And you could see that, um, you know, during during the World Champs, how they benefited from that. But, yeah, this time I, I counted up, and there were six players from England in the various teams. And Tactics have two of them uh, in Stacey Francis and Joe Hartman. So it'll be interesting to see how those players mould into, um, I guess New Zealand has most of these players, so how they mould into, into their teams. I think Fever's the only one that's got the, the English import player. Oh, no, and Giva Mentors for Vixens as well. Good, good for the sport, though, overall, isn't it? The, I mean, while... It, I don't know, maybe denies local players an opportunity, but at least it's it's obviously helping strengthen English netball. Yep, and same with Jamaica. I think that Romelda Aiken has really benefited from her time with the Firebirds and uh, also in the competition, the import players, there are two from Jamaica and three from Australia. Yeah, I think internationally, um, we have to look at that as well because it's a wonderful competition and it's helping strengthen both Australia and New Zealand. But for the World Championships, you don't always want it necessarily to automatically be an Australia-New Zealand final. So, yeah, we've got a summer along the line also, you know, have other countries um, you know, benefiting this import rule allows for that to happen. And in future, I mean, there has been talk also maybe that there's an invitation from a team from overseas, you know, to also be part of it. South Africa's just developed a competition that they're looking into it that will, you know, also strengthen themselves. And most of these teams, you know, apart from the top four, it's more the lack of international competition that prevents them from being up there at whether it's Commonwealth Games or World Championships. As former Silver Ferns coach Yvonne Willering. You're listening to Extra Time, a web-only sports programme from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Stephen Hewson. The Wellington Phoenix coach Ricky Herbert's urging his players to embrace the emotion ahead of what may be the final A-League football game for midfielder Tim Brown. The Phoenix play Sydney in an elimination match in Wellington tonight. Lose in their season is over. Win, and they play the winner of the Melbourne Heart-Perth Glory game. Brown, who's 31, announced this week that he was retiring from football to return to university studies, having been offered a place at the London School of Economics to study for a master's degree in management. Brown, who made his All Whites debut in 2005, was part of the World Cup squad in South Africa in 2010, although he never got to play after suffering a shoulder injury in the build-up. Richard Wayne spoke to Tim Brown about why he's decided now is the time to hang up his boots. It's been a hugely difficult one, and probably I've been, a decision I've been weighing for the last few months. But look, it'll, it'll be it'll be really sad to leave, and it'll be hard to leave. But you know, I, I feel sort of excited about the opportunity that sort of come my way, and it was one of those things I sort of felt like I had to take it now, or I might never do it. So uh, you know, that's the way it's going to kind of go, and I'm I'm excited about that. But uh, it will be sad to leave. So the universities, um, did you apply to them? Did they offer it to you? How did that come about? No, I put an application probably kind of just on a bit of a whim, uh, you know, a number of months ago. And, you know, one of them came through and I was pretty surprised about that, to be honest with you. And like I said, I've been going back and forth on this decision for a while now. But, you know, I just sort of felt it was too good of an opportunity to, to pass up. And, the opportunity, you know, the universities were, you know, of a really high standard and it's sort of something I've always wanted to do. So, uh, yeah, no, these are the choices we make, you know. Oh, well, the London School of Economics in Cambridge, you're right. They're famous places. Which one are you going to go to? Well, uh, yeah, still waiting on the, on, on, on the, on that the second one but uh, you know either hopefully that comes through and I've, I've got a choice to make but either way it's probably looking more like London at the moment and um, yeah, we'll, we'll see how things pan out but it's, a, it's another new challenge and 
you know, it's exciting, but uh, obviously, you know, there's still uh, a lot of unfinished business with the Phoenix at the moment, and that's where uh, the focus is. Good way to go out, I guess, if you can, uh, you know, carry on and close the deal with the, with the Phoenix starting Friday against Sydney. Yeah, you don't want to, you know, yeah, you don't want to believe in fairy tales, but it'd be a nice way to go out. And uh, look, it's, it's it's a really special group of guys in that team, and a lot of you know really close friends. Um, a lot of people I've got a huge amount of respect for. So you know, I, I certainly think that you know it's gone off the boil a little bit in the last couple of weeks, but there's um, you know, I, I sort of firmly believe we're we're a real chance to you know to kind of um, to do something there if we, if, if, we, if we want it badly enough. So a really tough call, obviously, Tim. I mean, you think now is a good time? It feels right. Yeah, I just sort of feel like maybe, you know, personally I've, 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 I've probably taken it as far as I can go, you know, deep down. And, you know, you, you think about the All-Whites and you think about, you know, the stuff with the Phoenix. But, you know, I, I think that's 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 for someone else to maybe do even bigger and better things. And, look, mate, it's it's not a decision I've taken lightly. And it's, um, you know, probably the emotion of all, uh, the emotion of it has snuck off on me a little bit, to be honest. But, uh, look, it's, um, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a positive thing, I think, for me and the right time for me. And... You know, I'll, I'll, I'll go with a heavy heart, but uh, you know, there's lots to look forward to. So after South Africa, the the, the, the desire to, to to get on the field at a World Cup and and play for New Zealand at a football World Cup, what uh, wasn't quite there? Oh no! Look, I think it's always there. Um, it's just a question of you know whether you know that's a, that's a sacrifice that is is something that you can kind of make for for a long period of time, and 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 not only sort of be kind of emotionally engaged in it but also sort of been able to perform you know over that period of time and I had question marks deep down I think and look it's it's usually difficult to walk away and and uh it's sort of something I've gone back and forth on like I said but uh you know it's it's, it's something I feel good good about and and certainly there's no regrets there from my point of view. Any highlights um in particular of your 30 I believe 38 internationals for the All Whites? Well, probably getting the opportunity to room with Ben Sigmund's been in, right up there. <laughs> uh yeah, uh look mate I, I just don't, you know, with all due respect, I probably don't want to dwell on it too too much at the moment. I, uh, you know, the focus is really Friday, and there's a lot of really great things that have sort of uh, happened to me, um, you know, over over the career and 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 the people that you've met and all that sort of stuff. But you know, I sort of think that that's for another day. And and look, I I've told my teammates, and 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 I'm going to share that with them this run through, and and I wanted to do that, but uh, probably don't want to make a fuss over anything else at the moment, and just really want to focus on Friday and. And doing really, really well with it, with the Phoenix, because I believe that we, you know, we're we're a real chance for that. Cambridge uh, probably got a reasonably decent football team. Uh, you, you might be able to turn out in England a bit. Look, to be honest with you, I'm just going to draw a line through it at the end of this Phoenix season, and yeah, probably uh, get a little bit fat and uh, turn my attention to something else. And look, it's yeah, that's a, a massive sort of thing in and of itself. But uh, we'll, uh, you know, uh, you know, I, I just think that you know, I kind of I, I want to go out sort of on on my terms, and and probably will you. Yeah. You're doing more things right than wrong, so that, that's, that's the plan, but, uh, you know, you never know. That's Phoenix midfielder Tim Brown talking to Richard Wayne. The Hurricanes have surprised many with their performances so far in the Super Rugby competition. They've won three of their five matches and managed to play some exciting rugby, and they're the second highest-scoring side in the competition. Not a bad effort after losing several key playmakers from last season. Their captain, Conrad Smith, told Barry Guy that while they may not be a team of stars... Are certainly a team. We realise we might, um, you know, not have the teams to um, to put teams away yet. But uh, you know, all, all we ask is that we, you know, show a bit of fight and a bit of uh, spirit, which we we know we do have. So um, that might mean um, hanging in, being points behind. But but you know, as long as we don't give up and, and keep sticking to the, the plan we go into the game with, then um, 
I think we'll do ourselves proud and that's uh, pretty much the way we've operated the last few weeks. I mean, you've dominated on the scoreboard in that game in Perth, but really, you haven't dominated a game yet. I mean, possession-wise and even territory, it hasn't, you know, hasn't been going your way. No, you're right, and um, you know, obviously uh, we don't we don't plan that, um, but at the same time, we're playing some quality sides, um, most of which have a lot more experience than us, and um, we, you know, we figured we've. Uh, you know, play to our play to our strengths, and, and sometimes we're not going to have the ball for periods of the game. That um, you know, if teams are willing to, to hang on to it, then we've just got to wait for our chance. And as long as we take those chances we're given, we'll um, you know get our points that way. And correct me if I'm wrong. You played every minute so far. Uh, is that correct? I mean, you, and you only came into the Hurricanes a week before that first game, more or less. Two, two weeks. Two weeks. Yeah, sorry, yeah. sorry. Um, yeah, it's it's worked out well. I'm starting to you know feel comfortable uh, playing the games. It was you know, a bit of a struggle the first couple of weeks uh, getting, getting myself through but you know it's uh, like I said from, from the start to you know uh, a challenge I've, I relished when you know I knew I was going to lead the side and it's a team I love playing for so you know as long as the body's um, willing then you know I'm certainly my heart my heart's in it and I'll um, keep playing as much as I can. Uh, what a buy in a couple of weeks so there'll be a, a break you get through until then okay? Yeah yeah the, you know at the moment it's looking good so um, the buy will come you know, at a good time for this team, I think. You know, we're we're enjoying playing together. I think we're slowly getting better week by week. Um, you know, the tr- the training's much as the game. So, uh, you know, but by that stage, I think we'll uh, you know be needing a break for the bodies as well. And you've got a new uh, partner in the centres, Charlie Nartai, um this week. You know, it's good to have him back. Yeah, he's um, come on. You know, few, most of the games, I think. Um, and he's a great player. He's been around, obviously, with this group for a long time and. Um, you get to know someone, you know, when, when you train a lot with them. So hopefully, it won't be take too much adjusting. And he, he's just an exciting talent, and uh, I'm sure you know he, he'll go really well. And talking about teams that hang around, the Cheetahs seem to do that as well. I mean, they gave uh, Crusaders a hurry up last week. Yeah, the Cheetahs, are, you know, impressive with you know, the, what we've looked at. They've you know one one of the more innovative sides. Um, things they're trying on attack, and I've been unlucky to lose, you know, particularly a couple of the games that they have lost. So uh, I think they're playing. Um, probably better footy than a lot of the teams that they're losing to, which you know can happen sometimes. But we're just going to make sure we're aware to uh, all the you know that they bring to the game. Maybe a sensitive subject, but uh, been talked about penalties. I mean, everything seemed to go the other way last week up at the Blues. I know you. I saw you having a chat to the referee a few times. I mean, what are your thoughts on the way that area has been, you know, controlled? Um, I, I think it's fine. I think you know we're. We're getting put under pressure, you know. We're um, a, lot, a lot of the penalties, you know, are because particularly last week, you know, the Blues were, were playing really well, and um, we were on the back foot. And I think the guys, you know, they've got hearts that want to be in the contest, and sometimes, you know, we're just overstepping the line and trying too hard. And you know, we're, we're giving away some silly penalties that, you know, moving on, we've got to sort out. And um, but hopefully, that'll start by not putting ourselves under the under the pressure that we did on the weekend. And uh, the way you're rolling along, expect a good crowd this week. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, it's had a week of nice weather, so uh, Phoenix obviously will have a big crowd tonight, and then uh, hopefully the same for us on on Saturday. That's Hurricanes captain Conrad Smith talking to Barry Guy. Female beach volleyball players won't have to wear bikinis at the London Olympics. The International Volleyball Federation says it wants participants to have options to cover up more and will be able to wear shorts and sleeved tops. Bikinis have helped define the sport, but the sport's governing body wants to respect the cultures and beliefs of varying countries. 
Barry Guy spoke with Richard Baker from the International Volleyball Federation about the change. Well, the key there, Barry, is that it was all due to the fact that we launched a new Olympic qualification tournament called the Continental Cup, which is like uh, Davis Cup tennis, uh, or country versus country. We launched that in 2010, and due to the remarkable success of it, like 142 countries ended up participating in it, and it's still going as we speak now. Um, part of the new innovation of this tournament was trying to encourage more and more countries to participate, and that meant... Uh, adapting our rules in terms of the uniform. And now the, our most recent decision has been that our board has now approved to implement this particular uh, uniform regulation into all FIV tournaments, including the Olympic Games. And the original reason for the introduction of this, of the new uniform in terms of shorts and sleeveless tops or sleeved tops is um, all down to some countries required a bit of flexibility there for religious or cultural reasons. I remember when sort of beach volleyball came into the Olympics and that sort of thing, it was it was perhaps just seen as one of those uh, sexy type events, you know, and it uh, uh, the way they were dressed perhaps uh, helped in its interest, uh, and it, that was a little bit controversial at the time. Yeah, the athletes all the time have had a choice in terms of what they wear, in terms of they can either wear a bikini or a one-piece bathing suit. And uh, memory serves me right, Atlanta, for example, there was the one-piece bathing suit being used. But since then, like in Sydney and Athens and Beijing, the bikini has ruled. Um, sure, it's part and parcel of the, the sport itself. It's a great um, spectacle, and the athletes are, are great to watch on the on the stand, and uh, the bikini helps. But they, at the end of the day, they do have a choice of of what they play in, and uh, we know the feedback from uh, a lot of our key athletes are, is that the preference is to play in a bikini because on the hot scorching stand under the steaming hot sun, it, it's the uh, uniform of choice. Uh, in recent times, we've seen with the Olympics uh, that uh, a number of um, uh, countries that re, uh, you know. In, in the past haven't sent women to the Olympics are now attempting to do that and of course uh, places in the Arab area are also trying to bid for Olympic type uh, events. Is that part of the reason with the you know more conservative um, approach there for uh, the way that women are attired? Absolutely. Um, beach volleyball is becoming more and more global, particularly around this Continental Cup competition. Uh, previously it hadn't been explored in great depth due to the fact that our premier event, the, the World Tour, featured primarily the Americans, Brazilians and Europeans. And, and now with the Continental Cup, as I said, um, featuring 142 countries, we're going into places like Syria, um, Asia and Africa, for example, who, who had specifically requested uh, a bit of flexibility there for the uniforms. And it's with them in mind where we've um, relaxed a little bit the rule regulations for uniforms. Being the age that I am, Richard, of course, remembering when sort of beach volleyball came into the Olympics and it was sort of seen as just a bit of, um, well, I suppose the uh, the one-day cricket version of test cricket. You know, it wasn't, wasn't the same as the real thing on, you know, six players on a court indoors and that sort of thing. Would it be fair to say that, at least publicity-wise, beach volleyball has now overtaken the uh, the traditional game? It's fast becoming so. I, I liken it a lot to sevens in rugby uh, against the traditional 15 side where um, it's, it's a sh shorter, sharper, more appealing style of game there. 
and format in itself. And uh, but it's fast creeping up on volleyball. The, volleyball is really the traditional sport globally, and uh, traditionally the federations invest a lot more in volleyball. They start there, and in the past, a lot of beach volleyball players had come from volleyball onto the sand. Now, though, we've seen players start out on the sand and even making a choice at college level to invest their careers in beach volleyball. It is fast becoming a global sport and 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 rivaling um, volleyball in terms of popularity and, let's face it, finance plays a big part in, in the global world these days and that also matters and it's becoming a bit more rewarding even on our world tour. The prize money is increasing year on year. So it, it balances us out. The traditional countries, the likes of Russia, Italy, for volleyball, they've seen some of their top players go to beach volleyball. They're still... In those particular areas, a bit of ground to make up for beach volleyball, but from a global point of view, it's starting to level out. And I suppose the thing with beach volleyball is you can more or less take it to the people because you could set up a, one of those courts more or less anywhere in the middle of a city or at, at a beach perhaps or, you know, anywhere really. Absolutely. That was the key ingredient in terms of the Continental Cup. Uh, just the flexibility for countries to be able to set up a tournament obviously a lot more difficult for volleyball having to find a hall with the suitable conditions. And uh, for beach volleyball, obviously the beach is the most obvious example, but also on grass or uh, the local land in a, in a particular town. We've seen that example in, in many Africa tournaments in the last two years. It's, it's been a great success from that standpoint, and that's one of the key reasons why beach volleyball is quickly becoming equally as popular as volleyball. That's Richard Baker of the International Volleyball Federation talking to Barry Guy. And the Women's Olympic Beach Volleyball Tournament in London will be played in a specially created arena at Horse Guards Parade near Buckingham Palace. And that brings us to the end of Extra Time for another week. I'm Stephen Hewson. Bye for now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.